And we're back with the Let's Talk About God podcast. We're back. Better we're than ever. Back. Better than ever. Better than ever. Better than ever. Everybody good? You doing good? Oh, I'm good. Everybody right. like Casper in here. Yeah. <laughs> me, and, me and you. <laughs> You're just talking to yourself. <laughs> All y'all. Me, myself, and I. Me, myself, and I. That's funny. Um, Ussins? Weans? Uh, how are you doing? You doing good? Oh, I'm doing good. Okay. You got, got your cup of coffee. You got your coffee. You're happy, aren't you? I'm ready to go. I'm I'm just feeling it. You're feeling it today. You just want to talk about baseball again since I'm trying to get into it? Well, I mean, it is baseball season. Here's what I don't understand. What? Some company bought out Fox Sports South, which now doesn't have a commitment with YouTube TV, but you're in a blackout area. So you can't watch the games. Basically, if you have YouTube TV, which I feel like most people do now. I don't know very many people with just cable, straight up cable. So I have YouTube TV, and all of a sudden, boom, out of nowhere, I have this new list added of all these upcoming baseball games. But it may be out-of-market games. They showed a lot of spring training. Right. Or like it may be like ESPN showing them or wherever else. But like Atlanta is our local team, right? Right. We should be able to just watch them. Right. But because there's no, because YouTube TV doesn't have a commitment to the local whatever. But I don't even think it's YouTube TV's fault. I think it's the other guys. But doesn't TBS show? No. It's like, I don't even remember the name of it. It was Fox Sports South, which got bought out by some weird company, Ballsby or something. There's no Fox Sports South anywhere? No, it's like Ball, I don't, I wish I could tell you the name of it. Wow. Anyways, and they have no commitment. So, and then, you know, they have MLB TV, which yes. is like the equivalent of NBA League Pass, where you could just pay for the games. But because we live in a blackout area, because we're in the in-market area, you, you would pay money and not even get to watch them. That's, that's not right. I'm ranting about a sport that I will probably not care about in two weeks. Baseball is two hours of boredom with 20 minutes of excitement. It really is. That's how I always describe it. That's all of basketball so much. And I played baseball as a kid, and I played softball as an adult. And but I will know. say baseball is one of the best live sports to go to. Oh, it's great. I love going to There's a baseball game. There's nothing like it. And I mean, like I enjoy watching a basketball game, but a basketball game is stressful. It is it is all 48 minutes or whatever. Yeah, it's action. intensity. Where baseball, you're just relaxing. It's you're chill. eating a hot dog. Oh, you don't even know what's man. going on. Somebody gets a hit. The dot thing. What are they called? Oh, uh, Dippin' Dots. Oh, Dippin' Dots. You got to get some Dippin' Dots. Get a pretzel with mustard on it. You get to stretch in the seventh inning. And since I lost 30 pounds on one of that diet and changed my life, I don't eat processed meat, you know, hot dogs. But I'll tell you what, if I went to the ballpark, I'd I I mean, it's one time. You got to eat one. You plan on it. You got to. Eat a salad that day or something. Exactly. And and then you eat the hot dog and make sure you have a Pepsi. Yeah, make sure you're ready to go. In your pocket. I had a bowling... Alley pizza last night. How was that? The pizza was fine. Is that what you were referencing, or the yeah. bowling alley? No, bowling alley pizza. That's kind of like school pizza. It was basically school pizza, but I ate it with the hand I was bowling with. So, oh no, I probably now have an array of diseases from that. Oh, you're sanctified. That's what you have to trust. Yeah, I mean, did, if, did you like school pizza? Yeah, it was fine. I loved school pizza. Little little square, mm-hmm. you know, square school pizza. Not the wedge. They made squares, and it was, and you would trade for anybody to get more of it. Mm-hmm. If you didn't, you just kind of lament all day. And tater tots. Yeah. Now I'm having Napoleon Dynamite. Give me your tots. Give me your tots. 
stuffing him in his pants. His tater tots didn't he like stick <laughs> them all down in his pocket and Napoleon, zip them up? Give me some of your tots. No, I haven't had anything to eat all day. <laughs> how many how many Napoleon Dynamite lines do you have memorized? Oh, I, pro- I don't know. Not that many anymore. I haven't watched it in a while. But you used to be able to ring, rattle oh, them off. Like, yeah. You could fill up this whole episode with Napoleon mm-hmm. Dynamite. Yeah. I lament I haven't seen it in a while. Was that the one you said, your mama goes to college? Was that the one? <laughs> yeah. To, yeah, your mom goes to college. Your mom goes to college. <laughs> <laughs> now you make me want to go rent it. I want to go oh, see it now. I want to see if I can find funny. Napoleon Dynamite. And the dance scene was the highlight. Yeah, it was. That was like so strange. It it was. Um but you know, if we keep if we keep talking uh about these old movies like this, we're gonna find ourselves singing the blues. (laughs) I've already snuck you you're not even on it. I've already snuck the word lament in twice and you yet to hear it. Totally missed it. I snuck it in twice and you kept going. I didn't get it. I was so busy just focusing on these I'm still thinking about you eating bowling alley pizza. <laughs> and your rental shoes. Did you get your rental shoes? Oh, yeah. That's... As long as they spray them, they're okay. Bro, I got diseases everywhere. No fun guy. I got diseases everywhere now. I still think singing the blues oh. is the best one. <laughs> I mean, that was pretty good. So explain to our wonderful listeners why we're going down this segue. Because today we're talking about the Psalms as Christian lament. Lament. Christian lament. Uh, What does it mean to lament? I didn't really put a 30-second definition. I would say it's uh, to, to allow yourself to grieve, to experience sadness, and loss and cry and, and that's yeah. why there is a book in the bible called, called lamentations. lamentations lament yeah lament, it's, and it's a sorrowful book it's a short little yeah. book written by jeremiah but it is one of the books of the bible six, yeah. six books it's 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 an intentional grieving and sadness so what expression of that what so we had a really good episode the last episode on psalms mm-hmm. it was really good um what what is what is this about what is what are we doing here? So, Psalms of lament. So, are we, where are so we going? Last week we really oh we sorry, we really focused on, you know, what are the Psalms? What what's the whole story of the Psalms? But we focused in on Christian worship. That the Psalms are worshipful in nature and many of them we gave some examples of how they, you know, they're worshipful. Uh and, and as far as Christian worship goes, we we should have the Psalms are about Christ and how he fulfills them. So for a Christian to sing about Christ is to worship him, to proclaim who he is and and what he's done. But this is a little bit different in that we are focusing the Psalms on songs that express lament or sadness as their primary message. That just as we encouraged our listeners to pray and to praise and to worship with songs full of joy and gladness at Christ and what he's done, there's an encouragement here to take those Psalms that express grief and sadness and incorporate that incorporate that into our spiritual lives as well. And, and even other emotions. Yeah. Anger, you know, righteous yeah. anger, frustration. That's kind of what we're going to cover today. Absolutely. So have you got a 30-second definition? Because we always have our 30-second definition. I mean, a 30-second definition of a Psalm of lament is a Psalm that expresses lament. I mean, if you just want it, it expresses grief, sadness, frustration, bitterness, whatever okay. else. I think that's better. Yeah. All right. So last episode, I know that was two weeks ago. If our listeners, I don't know how, how soon they listened to it, 
but you asked me and you said the worship, I, I just said for the Psalms that they are, that the Psalms are the hymn book of the Bible. Mm-hmm. Do you remember that? Yeah. Okay. Today, I'm going to play off of that and say that the Psalms of Lament make up the heart of the Bible. Mm. And by that, I mean that every emotion that we go through is somehow incorporated in those 150 Psalms. That's really good. So it is the heart, the feelings that we have of the Bible. So so it covers the gamut of human emotions. And of course, today we're going to talk about, you know, the ones that, again, are more yeah. about grieving and sorrow and whatever. So anyway. hey, this is this is neat. Focusing on, on, on that kind of personal aspect, John Calvin called the Psalms the mirror of the soul. Yeah, there you go. Uh, R.W.L. R. Moberly notes that, and this is a quote, the predominance of laments at the very heart of Israel's prayers mean that the problems that give rise to lament are not something marginal or unusual, but rather are central to the life of faith. Moreover, they show that the experience of anguish and puzzlement in the life of faith is not a sign of a deficient faith. So translated, in, a, in the life of faith, lament is not abnormal, but it's normal. And it's not a sign of a bad faith, a small faith, or a deficient faith. The scriptures show us it's a, it's a sign of a regular faith. Yeah, and of tested faith. That's right. That's what I would say. Your faith is being tested. You're going through a trial, a difficulty, and... How are you going to trust God? Yeah. You know, what are you going to do to trust God? I think if we we take a look back, we, we talked about how Psalms 1 and 2 were kind of the introduction to the Psalms and how they contradicted righteousness and wickedness. And I think we can see that again. Psalms 1 and 2 give us a picture of righteousness and wickedness, and righteousness would bring a sense of joy, of peace, of, of happiness, of worship. Well, wickedness or unrighteousness would bring a feeling of lament, of grief, of sadness, of pain, of anguish. That wickedness is the absence of this righteousness, of this of this good. It's the presence of evil. And so we go ahead and we see that contrast. Uh, and, and I think we'll see something overall is that a, a lot of these Psalms, they, I mean, they're human. I mean, they, uh, not to say they're not inspired by God. They convey the human emotion. Sometimes they bring accusations against God. Sometimes they're impatient. God, why, why have you Question. not shown up yet? Why Question are you not God. here? Like we mentioned last week in Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? There, There's this, it, it doesn't try and sugarcoat the process of humans evaluating what's going on in their lives. So have you ever heard somebody say, you're never supposed to question God. I have. Have you heard that? Mm-hmm. Okay. So, because you know, obviously I'm your dad, I'm older than you. I've heard that. I've had people say it. Well, you know, you're never supposed to question God. It's not true, is it? I think it's not. I I think there's a healthy middle ground. I think there's some caveats there, but no. Right. So, yeah, there's a point where you're, if you're questioning God. You're not God, supposed to be faithless or test God. Right. To the point that you're questioning his ability or his faithfulness mm-hmm. or whatever. But most of the time, it's the why, like Psalm 22, why have you forsaken me? Because I think our greatest challenge is, why is this happening to me when something I bad happens? I feel like this is going yeah. on. I feel like you've or, abandoned me. where are you, God? Yeah, yeah. Where? I've been praying. Why haven't you answered my prayer? Mm-hmm. Why aren't you changing my circumstance? Yeah. And so the Psalms, like the book of, if I remember right, Hezekiah, which is one of the minor prophets, his whole book is questioning God. 
Not not Hezekiah. I was about to say, I don't think Hezekiah. I knew you meant one of the H's. Yeah, Hezekiah was (laughs) was a king in the Bible. I think that's a fake book of the Bible. It's really funny that I said that because there's there's actually a joke behind that. That's probably why I did that. But it's Haggai, and I think it's Haggai, I think, that questions God. Every chapter is a question. And then, again, the Psalms are full of those times when, again, people are in anguish, they're in frustration, they, they have more questions than do answers. And they're just crying out to God, and I think it's a it's an honest, like you said, it's an honest cry that God, mm-hmm. I don't understand. Yep. Help me here. Yeah, that's right. It's it's not necessarily saying God, you're bad, you're evil, or, you know, I hate you, or you're, you're not real. It's yeah. not it's not that. But like you said, it's where are you? I, I thought you were going to show up by now. I don't understand. I feel this way, and it's like you said, it's being honest. God already knows your heart, anyways. Right. Um. So what are the Old Testament contexts for lament? Why are, why are the psalmists lamenting? Well, one, and, and we've kind of touched on this, is the humanity of the psalms. They're truly human, but they allow humanity to express itself. And you get the full range of emotions expressed through poetic language. I think if there's one thing we could add to talking about the psalms as human is it's expressing that through poetry. And we, we know this to be true today. It's one thing to sit across the table and uh, and just sort of bear my heart. That that carries a weight in and of itself. But there's a reason people write songs and write poetry and write literature and fiction and all these other things. There's just something about a, a song lyric that hits or a line in a poem that that conveys human emotion like just regular old conversations sometimes can't. Mm-hmm. And, and I think the beauty of the Psalms speaks to our souls in a yeah. unique way. Two, there's responsibility before God. There's an individual consciousness of responsibility. I, I'm called to uh, serve God. I, I, I'm called to be righteous before God. And, uh, and we see, especially in what's called the penitential Psalms, that oftentimes the author knows they've fallen short. They've fallen short of the glory of God. They're asking for forgiveness. They, they know they've, uh, they've, they've messed up, and, and they're asking for God's help. Um, third, it's faith in a creator, you know? So when you view God as creator, you realize you can't outrun him in your sin. You got to confess your sin and you got to turn to him in your brokenness. He's the Lord of all. He's the Lord of history. Who else are you turning to? And so the Psalms reflect, reflect that feeling of my situation is so hopeless. If God doesn't fix it, nobody can. Mm -hmm. And that we still feel that today. And I think there's times, especially in uh, America where, we feel like we don't have to feel like that because we've got medicine, we've got you know technology, we've got all of this brain power that we kind of rest on ourselves. Uh, but even then, many times we go through struggles that goes, I can't fix it, no one else can. Yeah, God, if you're not here, I'm done. And and the psalmist expresses that. We see God as a bringer of suffering, and 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 here's well, that's what I interesting. mean. What, uh, what do you mean by that? Here's what I mean. Not in like a Here's what I mean. That oftentimes the Psalms, and we talked about this in the last episode, recognize God as judge. And as we as we walk through the story of Israel specifically, remember we talked about how um, there's Psalms uh, about the Babylonian exile. There is a real feeling that God has brought this on us, and we need to repent in turn. Or if we go through the penitential Psalms again. I wish I could remember exactly which one it is, but um, David is essentially saying, there's no health in me. My 
what does he say about his own bones? It, he, it, it, in describing his own guilt and his sense of guilt, he describes himself as essentially broken down and, and sick and broken until he confesses his sins before God. And, and he realizes the things that I'm going through, maybe even my enemies attacking me. Psalm are, 32. Psalm 32. It's yeah. a means of bringing me to repentance. I, I think that's, that is the heart of it, of a nation and even individuals, especially kings who bear the weight of the morality of the nation, can see God's effect in their life at their own sin. Mm-hmm. And then this is something every person, every person can go through, and that's facing death. The Psalms oftentimes reference Sheol or the Hebrew understanding of the place of the dead. And the worst thing about Sheol, it was described as dark and gloomy. The worst thing about it uh, is that it's oftentimes portrayed that God is not there and that there's this sense of separation. Uh, And there's this sense where where the psalmist doesn't want to face death. Uh, Psalm 49, 14 through 15 says, um, like sheep, they are headed for Sheol. Death will shepherd them. The upright will rule over them in the morning and their form will waste away in Sheol, far from their lofty abode. But God will redeem me from the power of Sheol for he will take me, Selah. So even in the midst of this lament and this terror, there is a hope that even if I go down to death, God will redeem me. But it's woven into that natural human fear of I don't want to die. Mm-hmm. So with that being said, with these are the various contexts, we see uh, two types of lament psalms, and then we can kind of break them down even further. The first is national. So oftentimes the, the, the psalmist is representing the entire nation of Israel, all of the, the people of God, and it's a cry for God to deliver them nationally. So usually there's a description of the situation. What are they going through? God's petition, and this is important, with the reminder of his past mercies. Yeah, they, it happens a lot in a the lot. Psalms. Lord, you used to do this. You did this for our forefathers. Yep. At one time, you did this for us. Yep. It's like recounting the good days and when God came through for them. Mm-hmm. And, and like we talked about in the last episode, referencing Moses, how God delivered you know Israel from from through uh, the Red Sea through the Red Sea yeah, yeah. so he, he, yeah the Pharaoh's army that's yeah. right and and then there's the next an expression of confidence that God will come through it's so almost we'll, like that you did it before you can do it again we'll believe you'll do it again yep yeah and and I think when we think lament Psalms though there's a couple that don't have a happy ending I think a lot of times though you, though you may not get a word of deliverance there is that expression of confidence. God, I'm struggling. I'm kind of freaking out right now. Well, you know, if you don't come through, but then it ends with, but I trust you. Psalm 60, one through five, and then verse 12 says this, God, you have rejected us. You have broken us down. You've been angry. Restore us. You have shaken the land and split it open. Heal its fissures for its shutters, for its shutters. You have made your people suffer hardship and you've given us wine to drink that made us stagger. You have given a signal flag to those who fear you so that they can flee before the archers. Selah, save with your right hand and answer me so that those who love you may be rescued. And then towards the end, with God, we will perform valiantly. He will trample our foes. So there you get that picture of here's the situation, but God, we need you to come through. uh, and, And then an expression of confidence that he would do that. Yeah. Then we've got individual, and this is where we can... Uh, see a lot of variety here. So there's approximately 50 psalms that are individual lament psalms. Uh, they're that's often, a lot. That's a lot. They're actually often a called... A third. A third, yeah. They're third called the, the backbone of the Psalter. 
by many. Because yeah. you're going to see these, yeah, like a lot. Wait a minute. Now, in case we got somebody that's Oh, I for said the, the Salter again. You said the Salter. So tell them what a Salter is. That's not a person who uses salt. The Salter is uh, is just the the book of Psalms. It's just a collection of 150 Psalms. That's go. all. I'm so sorry. that's what Salter means, yeah. Um, so they usually have a sharpness of complaint and the bitterness of attack upon those responsible. So when we say the sharpness of complaint, that's where that human element comes in. They usually don't hold back a whole lot. I mean, they're the psalmist expresses in pretty sharp, pretty firm terms what they're going through uh, and, and how it feels. And then there's a bitterness against those who are attacking them. There's a real frustration there. Um, there's a real cry for justice, for judgment, for God to show up. Uh, there, there's, and we mentioned this earlier, there's often a complaint against God for his lack of attention or his tardiness. And this, oh man, this is a human emotion and feeling we can all feel, which is, God, why have you not shown up yet? Why are you not here yet? Are you not watching out for me? What are you going on? Well, you know, what's going on? What are you doing? So uh, that feeling of tardiness, and then it usually concludes with, a, with an avowal to praise God, which anticipates deliverance. So similar to the national, but a little bit more sharp, more intense, more individual, but it always concludes uh, trusting God that he's going he's gonna to show up. And this, I mean, we've called it the backbone of the book of Psalms. This is where we really connect. And this is why praying the Psalms, I think, is so valuable for the church. And, and I'd like to hear your thoughts on this. We mentioned how the, the, the Psalter, which is the book of Psalms, is also a worshipful book. What do you think the, the, the role of the lament plays in congregational worship and relationship to the Lord? It obviously wasn't an issue for them, but they saw it as a part of their worship and identity. What does that look like for us today? I, I, I'm going to be honest with you, and I think you've already pointed it out. I think you've already given the answer. There were national psalms of lament. But again, that was for an entire nation that was essentially a theocracy, even though they had a king. And so I think that's unique mm-hmm. versus a local body or congregation that I would say that it, it, the individual psalms are probably going to be more in line with the local church in the same vein that it will be individually expressed. Because you would, you would almost, if you if you did the, the sort of national feel, maybe you would view that as your as the church, whether universal or in your nation or something right. like that. Right. So I don't know how many churches are going to get up and say today we're going to all repent of a sin that we've committed collectively <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. as a local congregation. That's why I said I think it breaks down. Yeah. But I'm going through a trial. I'm going through a hardship. My faith is being tested. That could happen in a local church. So you could have where, there, say, there's a tragedy. Say the pastor is killed tragically, and now the church is grieving. It's been a long-term shepherd that they loved, and the whole church is devastated. You know, that that's a lament. Mm-hmm. You know, why, Lord, is this happening? And we're grieving, and our shepherd's gone. And th- then that could be where those psalms mm. may come into play. But I think most of the time it's going to be an individual thing where mm-hmm. we're going through our own trials, difficulties, troubles, tribulations, and we can go to those psalms and we can identify and they connect with us. That's good. And then we say, I, this is, I, I couldn't find the words, but th- these are the words. This expresses just how I feel. Yeah. And so I think that's, that's how that works. 
Well, first, we're going to break down three kinds of these individual lament psalms. And the first one's a little spooky, a little spicy. And uh, I'm, I'm interested to hear what you have to say about that. Uh, the first type of individual lament psalm is what's called an imprecatory psalm. This is where the psalmist, in pretty strong language, asks for God to pour out judgment on his enemies. He's basically asking for God to, to do bad things to them, to destroy them, to, to kill them. And, uh, and there are about 20 psalms that contain these passionate pleas for the overthrow of the wicked. So Psalm 35 verses 4 through 8 says, Let those who intend to take my life be disgraced and humiliated. Let those who plan to harm me be turned back and ashamed. Let them be like chafe in the wind with the angel of the Lord driving them away. Let their way be dark and slippery with the angel of the Lord pursuing them. They hid their net for me without cause. They dug a pit for me without cause. Let ruin come on him unexpectedly and let the net that he hid ensnare him. Let him fall into it to his ruin. So we see the psalmist right here is expressing people are coming after me. They're attacking me. And Lord, I want you to make their way dark, slippery, scary, bring them to ruin. Let what they had planned for me Come bring, after me. Bring a sledgehammer down I mean, on their head. Destroy God. them. Cast their children Shattered against their the stones. world. <laughs> Let them lose their job. I mean, and, just, yeah. And, and their dog dies, and the, and the cat eats their goldfish, and let their tires blow out on their car. Lord, make their life a country song And the IRS the come back, come and audit them for the last three years, and they lose everything. <laughs> oh, God. I worship you, Lord. Um, <laughs> that's how it feels to a lot of Christians, and uh, you're right. A lot of a lot of people, a lot of Christians have struggled with these imprecatory yeah. psalms, and they struggle with them. Here's what here's what I understand, and I know you've got some notes. Um, in my research, my understanding is those psalms were never used in synagogue worship, so they are very individualized. If you'll notice, this mm-hmm. is one person suffering injustice from a wicked person, yep. and they're dealing with it with God. It was never part of the ritual Judaism, is my understanding. So again, in precatory Psalms, this curse on the wicked, ruin them, God, is never something that's incorporated in yeah. So obviously, we don't want to bring that into our Sunday morning worship. I think that's what we get out of it, is that's not the time or the place. Um, here's something else that I learned that I thought was very interesting, and, I, and a couple things. And I think you had this in your notes that it's it's really it's a reflection of their zeal for God and His holiness. Mm-hmm. I mean, because it almost sounds like personal. It sounds like they want to hurt somebody. Or they want yeah. God to hurt somebody, but they've taken it as an affront to God, mm-hmm. and so they want God to get back at them for God's sake. Yeah, you know, for, for his name, for his, his reputation. Yeah, so it's almost like a patch. So there's times that happens. So that's one thing. The, here's what else that I understood, and, and I read something even about a rabbi and his wife having a discussion. There's a story told. It, it was it was often understood that God would destroy the sin, not the sinner. Does that make sense? So where it seems like he's saying you know, God destroy the sinner that sometimes it's it's possible because it is possible to read sins for sinners in Hebrew. Did you know that? No, I did not. Yeah. It's you can it can either be sinners, 
a noun, mm-hmm. or it can be sins, another mm-hmm. noun. So it just depends. And so there's kind of that understood understanding that God, that you're not really asking God to destroy the sinner. You're asking God to destroy the sin. So I read that. And so, you know, I think that's kind of, I, I don't know how true that is, but th- that's out of the rabbinical. It's, it could be an answer. It's out of yeah. the rabbinical world. And, and that, you know, out of the rabbis who study the Old Testament, there is that understanding. But when you read Psalm 35, um, when you say, let those who intend to take my life be disgraced and humiliated, I don't really think there's a, a way of saying that, try to say, he's saying, Lord, destroy their sins. He is putting I mean, personal, yeah. he is asking for God to personally disgrace these people and humiliate those people and and let them be ashamed. Let the angel of the Lord drive them away. I mean, he's asking God to Chase them down. Yeah. So I don't know how much of what I read, studied, can actually fall on it. But um, if there's anything there, Evan, it's that it's it's that two things. One, I think it is. These are the moments, and we've all had them. If you haven't had them, you're an extraordinary person. Where you get so mad, so frustrated that you just vent. You know, and we've all had it. And and sometimes we vent the wrong way. Sometimes we vent the right way, that righteous indignation, okay? And we we vent. But I think what you see in the precatory Psalms is, God, there are people who are wicked, who do not serve you, who are sinful, who are in rebellion against you. They are coming against me. They're coming against your people. They're hurting innocent people. God, be the righteous judge and and pass judgment on them. Yeah. And let them pay the penalty for their wickedness and their sin. Don't let them get away with it, God. Mm-hmm. That's what I get. So I think the imprecatory psalms to me is is if you sort through the the stuff that you kind of go like, well, you know, yeah. man, they want God to just kill them. Well, it's deeper than that. They see God as they see righteousness, they see sin, they say God is the judge right and wrong, black and white, and it's like, God, be the judge that you are and deal with these people. That's good. That that's how, how, how do you see it? I've got a few thoughts, some of them that I just thought now, so maybe those aren't good, but I've got some written down as well. One, we, we I, I don't think it's a, it's a stretch to say that, that uh, the psalmist would use hyperbolic language, which is extreme language, and Jesus uses this. Jesus tells us that if your right eye causes you to sin, rip it out. Or if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. And Jesus it, doesn't literally mean yeah, self-mutilation. He's it, not an advocate of self. It doesn't mean that. Not. But it's 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 common ancient Near Eastern language to it, it, to to say something in an extreme way to tell you what you need to do. Get, get e- rid of the thing causing you to sin. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle yes. than for a rich man to be saved. That's hyperbole. He's yeah. not being literal. Right. So I think it's very possible that what the psalmist is doing is using extreme language to to convey to God how much he wants God to bring justice Again, to that this justice theme. So you, you see that. I do. Two, I think it's important to know, and, and you commented on this, that the psalmist isn't saying, God, I'm about to go kill him. Would you help me? No. The psalmist is always crying out for God to bring vengeance. The psalmist recognizes vengeance is mine, says the Lord. He's recognizing what, what God has already revealed about himself. He is the righteous judge. 
not the psalmist. So I think there's something important to that, that the psalmist is agreeing with God's own revealed character, that he is a righteous judge. This is why in the psalm we just read, he calls on the angel of the Lord. Now, he's calling for destruction. I mean, he is. The angel of the Lord took out armies. I mean, whole armies with Joshua. So, but at the same time, he's calling for God to do it in a righteous manner. So I think that's important. Three, the Psalms also consistently cry out for God's mercy. The Psalms also say, I, I was born in, in iniquity, my mother conceived me. It, it also recognizes the sinfulness of humanity and in, in relying on God's mercy. I don't think we have to split God's mercy and his judgment apart necessarily. I don't think we have to make the psalmist say, Lord, destroy them and never get them to repent. Maybe in hyperbolic fashion, he's saying, Lord, humiliate them. Maybe they will repent. I, I think there's a lot of options here that don't have to necessarily mean the psalmist just wants just pure death, no repentance, God to destroy them, and we get to pray that today about everyone we don't the like. So could so-called godly psalm, songwriters are writing, are sinning are writing, writing songs saying God destroy people. There, yeah, I, I don't I don't necessarily think we can take it to that just sort of ultra literal unhealthy extreme. Two, God's going to judge everybody at the end of time. God at the same time wants all people to be saved and died for them, and yet He will judge those in the end. If the psalmist, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wants to take that position, as in if they don't repent, God judge them. Interpreting that with the rest of scriptures, I think it's an option. Three, as we go back to our last episode, the Psalms are Christian literature. They're spiritual as well as physical or material or earthly or whatever. I preached on this passage that they just mentioned. I think just as much as the psalmist is referencing an earthly enemy, we know as Christians we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but powers and principalities. He's calling on the angel of the Lord, who is Jesus, who who fights our battles for us, who is a warrior king. I think in some sense, as Christians, we can read this as a judgment against Satan and his demons, as much as we can read it against an earthly enemy, you know, coming against the psalmist. I and I think there's probably one more thing that that we need to bear out, and this may be the this may be the best answer of all, and it's not ours. We studied it, but the the understanding of life and death and judgment after death is not as fully developed mm-hmm. in the Old Testament as it seems to be in the New Testament. That's right. And so I think there was a sense that the wicked needed to be punished now. And if you're not, you, you justice will never happen. Right, because then they die and they go in a grave and they're never, mm-hmm. it's sort of you're not. We all wind up in the same place <clears throat> right. anyways. And, it's, so. and then it's even, everybody's even. Yeah. So God, if you're going to punish them, do it. Do it now. I mean, even Jesus had to <clears throat> teach about how they understood Sheol. It was Jesus who helped us to understand that Sheol or Hades in the Greek, Sheol in the Hebrew, same place, were actually split into two halves, mm-hmm. uh, and and that they were separated by a great gulf. And, and upper Hades over Sheol was Abraham's bosom, and the righteous went there. I don't. I don't even know that they understood that till Jesus told that story. How much of that was understood? So. I think that that may be what we're seeing there is again it's just a cry for the justice of God punish the wicked 
I don't know if they understood there's going to be a day when the wicked would stand before God and be judged. Yeah. And so that's probably the best answer that we could come to. And, and so don't would, get freaked out about yeah, the imprecatory yeah, yeah, Psalms. It's scripture. Yeah. It's, and, and I would say, too, what you just pointed out, I think how, how we just finished that shows the need to interpret the scripture with scripture and with what has historically been called the rule of faith, which is just the doctrines we know to be true. The Bible's never going to contradict itself. And we know, like you said, there's further development and understanding in the New Testament. That revelation. Revelation. It's actually revelation. We can yeah. take that back into the Old Testament. Doesn't mean the psalmist knew about the the resurrection of the righteous and the unrighteous when Christ the Messiah, you know, Christ comes back and they didn't. But under the Holy Spirit, they're writing certain things. God knows the truth about everything that he's going to do. You, you can take that that truth we learn about in the New Testament, and then it brings to light some things written in the Old Testament. So anyways, I think that's helpful there too. We have got what are called the Passion Psalms, and these Psalms reflect the passion of our Lord, what we're once again celebrating this this weekend and celebrating his, his resurrection. They're a cry for help in the midst of suffering, and specifically in the midst of Jesus's suffering. Psalm 69 verses one through four says, save me, God, for the water has risen to my neck. I have sunk deep in mud and there is no footing. I have come into deep water and a flood sweeps over me. I'm weary from my crying. My throat is parched. My eyes fail looking for my God. Those who hate me without cause are more numerous than the hairs of my head. My deceitful enemies who would destroy me are powerful. Though I did not steal, I must repay. It is this picture of Christ's passion. And first he's crying out to the Lord for help in his anguish and in his suffering. And obviously, it's more than just the passion of Jesus, because last episode we said Jesus is in every psalm. It's our passions. It's yeah. our cry for help. Mm-hmm. It's our expression of anguish. And I, that's why I think that the psalms where they're suffering, you if you're going through a tough time, you can read that and you relate. That's right. And you say, this is really speaking to me because I feel like this psalm writer. Mm-hmm. I feel like this. And there's tremendous ministry there because usually in those psalms, they they, they say, God will hear. God, God is my hope. I will yet hope in him. I yeah. will yet trust in him. So there's something in there of a positive message that can help you in your time of struggle. Yeah. So, all right. So the penitential Psalms, that's the third one. These are great. So I know we're going to close with this one. Um, explain a penitential Psalm, because I think obviously this is one that people are going to really, it's going to resonate with yeah. because we all sin, mess up at times. Tell me about penitential Psalms. Penitential Psalms are Psalms where, where the Psalmist comes to repent. Essentially, they go to God, they admit their sin before him, they describe what their guilt and their sin is doing to them. Like I mentioned earlier, they may point out ways in in which they feel God is judging them or or, or enacting things in their life to bring them to repentance, and then they'll confess their sin and rest on the mercy of God. So Psalm 38, uh, verses 1 through 3 says, Lord, do not punish me in your anger or discipline me in your wrath. For your arrows have sunk into me and your hand has pressed down on me. There is no soundness in my body because of your indignation. There is no health in my bones because of my sin. The psalmist is using this beautiful poetic language to describe God's 
uh, conviction on his life. The feeling that he gets because of his intense guilt and the knowledge of his sin, and he's coming before the Lord and he's repenting and he's and he's casting himself on the mercy of God. And I think this is important. Not that the sacrificial system wasn't important to the psalmist or the Old Testament, but often what you see from the psalmist is not I, you know, Lord, I'm going to the priest, or Lord, I'll slaughter this animal, or it's they describe themselves as casting themselves on the mercy of God. They don't see it as a, as a mechanistic type of way any more than we see Christ crucified as a mechanistic way of forgiveness. It's casting themselves on God's mercy and forgiveness. I, I think of Psalm 51, which if you read the little subtitle is the psalm that it says, uh, a Psalm of David when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. Mm. So this is when David committed the sin and had adultery with Bathsheba, killed her husband, and um, Nathan the prophet confronts him, yeah. and now he knows he's done wrong and he repents. And and, and I'm just going to kind of do like you did last time. I'm going to read some of it. Yeah. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies, Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. That's a man crying out for for cleansing and forgiveness Mm -hmm. who was supposed to be a man after God's own heart, but he sinned horribly. Yeah. Okay? For I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts, and the hidden part you will, and in the hidden part, you will make me to know wisdom. And then again, he's crying out, purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. And, and I think this is the part, make me hear joy and gladness. You know, mm-hmm. if there's anybody that's ever backslidden, they know you lose your joy, uh, that the bones you have broken may rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. And this is the verse. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. And this, do not cast me away from your presence. Wow. Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. I'm not going to read the rest of it, but but those words, I think everybody that's listening to us right now can identify those times when you have blown it, and, and maybe you didn't repent right away, and you were miserable. Mm-hmm. And you can say... I don't feel the Holy Ghost anymore. I don't feel the Spirit of God at church. I don't have my joy. I'm just, I just feel horrible internally. I'm a, I'm a wreck, and I need to, I need to repent of this and do what's right. And if you can't identify with that, I mean, yeah, what are you doing? That's what I'm saying. So I think these psalms, these these songs that w- that we call uh, penitential psalms, are great, just like the other ones, because they help us to know that if David blew it. I'm going to blow it. Mm-hmm. And if David could cry out to God and say, forgive me and have mercy on me, I can do that. And if David found forgiveness, I can find forgiveness. Yeah. And what David felt, I felt, and I can tell the Lord those things and know that God is a merciful God and he He will forgive me. And, 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 it, and it takes 1 John 1, 9 and brings it to life. Mm-hmm. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all righteousness. Um, I, I think that I want to close with this, you know, anything you want to share. I read this and I thought this was so good as we were preparing to do these two episodes on Psalms. We may be guilty of 
thinking of the Old Testament people, people of God, mm-hmm. as much like the Pharisees in the New Testament gospels. Strict, yeah. religious. Earning, trying to earn their way. Yeah, and dry and whatever. Yeah. It, it's not a real picture. The Psalms blow that picture up. The, the life, even though it wasn't the born-again, spirit-filled life that we know in the New Covenant, it was a intense, personal, joyful, living kind of uh, exciting, if you will, intimate relationship with God. Again, nothing like we have now, but it, it wasn't the Pharisees. You know, you could pray, you could talk to God, you were expected to pray and talk to God and 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 to worship. And the Psalms help us to see that for the for the for the what well, should have been for the typical Old Testament saint who was looking forward to Christ and His coming, that they went through the same things we did, the gamut of emotions, the gamut of everything. But there was this cry to God and relationship with God that said, I don't, I want to walk with you. I want to rejoice in you. I want to know you. I want to please you. I want to do what's right. I want righteousness to prevail in the earth. When I sin, I want you to forgive me. Um, I need your help, God, when I'm going through a hard time. It kind of, it kind of helps you to say, you know, because I think I've been guilty of this. I think I've been guilty of saying it was so liturgical and so there was so much religiosity that that the people like David were exceptions. Mm-hmm. And I don't know that that's really true. Um, I think that if if a man wanted to have that relationship with God, pursue God, he could. Again, he wouldn't be born again in the way we know it or have the spirit inside of him. That didn't happen back then. Mm-hmm. Like we have today, That's we're so profoundly blessed. But it does let you know that we can we can connect with those people, that they live life. They live life and they lived it in God mm-hmm. to the extent that they could. And it says to us, we live life, and we need to live it in Christ, and we can run to him just like they did. And he knows, just like he know what, knew what they felt, he knows what we felt, and just like he knew what they needed, Evan, he knows what we need. Yeah. And so yeah. there ought to be a connection when you read the Psalms. I think we oftentimes have this uh, this picture of God in the Old Testament. He's just vengeful wrathful, bloodthirsty. He's just, we, we paint this really poor, poor picture of God. When you go read the psalmist, it's him casting himself on his mercy, on his uh, uh, abounding steadfast love, on his compassion and faithfulness. God doesn't change. He's always been the same God. And they knew the God we know. They no, didn't I- have the fullest revelation as we do, but they know the unchanging God we know. I think, if I confessed, out of all the Old Testament characters, and I have a lot of them, like I love Joseph. I love the story of Joseph. It's one of my favorite stories. But I would have to admit, if I just really sat down here and just said, Enoch is probably one of my favorite, because unlike Joseph, who has chapter after chapter after chapter of his life in Genesis, it just sort of says pretty simply, Enoch walked with God. Mm-hmm. That was it. Enoch walked with God, and that's so powerful that there's a guy in. This was pre Moses, pre Levitical law, pre Abraham. Yeah, he's a yeah he's a he's a he's a, a, a patriarch. You know, Old Testament. He just walked with God. 
just had a relationship with God, talked with him. And and my dad used to say that, because uh, the Bible says that Enoch walked with God and he was not, for God took him. In other words, one day, and my dad used to preach, your grandfather, he, he, he would preach and say, uh, Enoch would walk with God, and one day they were walking, they walked a little further than normal, and God looked at Enoch and said, you know, you're closer to my house than you are to yours. Why don't you come on home? Uh, and he said, cool. God took him to heaven. Yeah. And uh, and I think that's a, a pretty strong type of us, that we just walk with Jesus. Yeah. And one of these days, the trumpet's going to sound, or we may die, and uh, we may not be here anymore, but we'll be with God forever. Yeah. Well, I think one of the last things I'd, I'd, I'd like to say is um, I think people have this idea that, that – uh, spontaneity equals authenticity. And I don't think that's true. And I think the book of Psalms is a picture of that, that it's uh, a guide of worship and it's a guide of prayer. And I think oftentimes what the Psalms can become is authentic prayers of God using not our own words, but His, the Spirit-inspired words. And I think one of the the beautiful things about the Psalms is they give us words to say when they don't know what to say, when we don't know what to say, and they give us the words to say when sometimes we don't want to say it. So, for instance, David cast himself on the mercy and grace of God. Maybe you struggle to see God as merciful and gracious. Maybe you have a wrong picture. When you confess your sins using David's words, using God's words, you have to confess him as merciful and gracious. Maybe it's the other way around. Maybe you have a really hard time admitting your own sin. Maybe repentance is not something that comes easy to you, and you find yourself wanting to make excuses or something else. You have a hard time saying, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, I did wrong. Admitting it, yeah. When there you, are people like that. When you use God's words, you can't escape it. You have to admit, in sin did my mother conceive me, and and you have to basically say, I, I, I did wrong. You have to agree with what God already says about well, your sin. That's right. <laughs> you have to agree with him and say, God, you're right, and I, I sinned. And I think as you pray that and you walk through these scenarios, these, these psalms are meant to be for you, for the church. And when you insert yourself in them, they become as authentic and as real and as powerful as if you just got that on your knees on the spot and cried out to God because it's you inserting yourself into into uh, God's story, using God's words back to him. And I think there's something powerful about that. That's really good. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. Hope you enjoyed it. Uh, give us a like, a rating, subscribe, and send this to somebody who needs it. And we'll see you back in a couple of weeks. 